Mother's Day to all of you, mothers, biological mothers, mothers in the faith, all of you who've had mothers, that covers most of you. Um, we all have some connection to Mother's Day. Uh, I know all of us are thinking of our mothers in one way or another, and our children. Um, hope you've had a good week. We're the Kennison household. We're still in the graduation season. Got uh, one down, two to go. Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of uh, being down at uh, over at Duke to see a good friend of ours graduate from the seminary. I also got to see. I was in the chapel, and a beautiful young woman was walking down one of the assistants and it was looked up and we looked at each other it's like we know each other it was Palmer Cantler and uh, that was fun to catch up with her a little bit before the service um, it was a beautiful service uh, the only downside was I got to bed at 3 a.m. so uh, it's a late service uh, so if I'm a little foggy this more foggy than usual um, I'm, I'm blaming it on that that's my story okay so uh, it was a short, short night. Um, those of you who, who were here last week will know that it was, hmm, I've been trying to think of the word all week, raucous. <laughs> if you weren't here, you, you missed uh, a singular experience. Uh, I made the mistake, well, I don't think it was a mistake. Well, maybe it was a mistake. We'll see if it was a mistake. Um, we, we solicited some input. Uh, last week for uh, what series we might teach together uh, in the coming weeks and we came up with 12 I, I, I offered four possibilities that people had given me over the past several months and then I op I did that thing that I normally don't do for good reason uh, and that was 
offered opportunities for people and actually got some really, really good suggestions. And then we handed out cards and you know, people wrote down and, and they're still, I'm mentioning this so that those of you who are anxious like want to know like what the tabu, the, the official accounting company is still tabulating those. <laughs> so we don't have the, but we said we weren't going to deal with that this week. We're not going to start a new series uh, just yet. So I will get back to you uh, at the appropriate time with results from all of that. Um, but we got a lot of cards back. A lot of people uh, gave us feedback and I uh, look forward to uh, telling you how that's going to turn out. But for today, because it's um, Mother's Day, uh, I actually, uh, you, Coralie asked me last week what we were going to teach, and you're here. Okay. Uh, that's impressive, because I'm worried that uh, if I told people what we were going to do, like, you just wouldn't come. Uh, <laughs> you just never know uh, how, that, how that works. So we said we would talk today. I've been intrigued, been thinking for a little while. I mean, um, a lot of things that we most would like to know more about in, in Scripture or like to know with a little more, or we think we would like to know with more precision, uh, we, don't, we don't have that kind of precision. Um, Americans love precision. We like defining things, right? We're big definers. Um, if we can just define it, we think we've we got a handle on things. And some of the most important notions in Scripture we have are not actually defined. Um, I mean, arguably the single most important thing that Jesus talks about in his ministry is the kingdom of God. And Jesus doesn't define it. He tells parables about it. He gives metaphors and similes. The, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Like, well, that's helpful. What the heck does that mean? <coughs> or the kingdom of God is like a woman who, you know, takes some yeast and works it into a batch of dough. Oh, well, that clarifies things. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, or the kingdom of God is like a man who, you know, um, finds a treasure buried in a field and goes and sells everything and buys that field. Oh, okay. That's what the kingdom of God is. And he just keeps telling these over, I mean, I, nowhere does he say, okay, just kidding, here's what the kingdom of God is. Nowhere. Um, that's, pretty, that's really intriguing to me, something that central. Um, and this month, as you know, here at Muncie, we're talking about community, we're talking about the church, we're talking about unity. And here again, we don't have a kind of, we should pause because one of the mothers of the faith has just come in. <laughs> Good morning, Marjorie. We have missed you. Good morning, Carol. We are so glad you're here. Thanks for gracing us with your presence on this Mother's Day. She said it was harder than she thought it would be. I won't speak for others, but there's probably others in the room who would echo that. So thank you for making the effort to be here. Yeah. So not only 
does Jesus not define the kingdom of God but gives us similes and metaphors? When you think about something as important a concept as the church, right? I mean, the word church is hardly ever, I mean, we, the word we translate is church. Um, Jesus hardly ever talks about us all. And it's never defined. I mean, the church is never defined in Scripture. This is what the church is. Again, we get images. Uh, by some people's count, there's about a hundred different images in the New Testament that refer to the church. And what I'd like us to do today is, if there's one image that we focus on for the church of those hundred, uh, with good reason, it's the body of Christ. And there's good reason to focus on that. It's a really critical image for understanding our life together. And I want us to, to honor that. But I thought for today, since it's Mother's Day, we would talk about another image that um, complements. Um, no, no one image uh, does all the work that you want it to do. And sometimes when you get fixated on one image, you miss some things. Right, when you think about, when you have one metaphor, you, you miss some things. Um, and often we don't even realize we think in metaphors. So for example, I mean, most of you don't realize when you think about what an argument is, you think in metaphors, right? You think, and I think, because this is the way we've heard it done all our lives, we think an argument is a, is a battle. It's a war. And the point is to win. Right? And that just seems so obvious. <laughs> because that's the, that's the way we've always talked about arguments, with, this, with that metaphor. That an argument is a battle, and, and the point is to win. So there's winners and losers. But what if from the time we were born, uh, we, we talked and we acted as though arguments were, say, a dance. Or... It, were, it was like uh, two jazz musicians in a room going back and forth, right? In both cases, the point is not to win. It's to make the, your partner better than they would be without you. That would change the way you thought about an argument, right? When my students argue with me, they make me better. Right? I'm not trying to win. I'm trying to see something that they see that I don't see. And if I could see it, I would be better. Just like a jazz musician. I mean, one of them plays riffs on something and somebody hears something in that they hadn't heard before. Then they go off of that. And at the end of the day, they're both better. But you, you can't ever see an argument that way as long as you and I continue to think of it as a war. But there's nothing built into an argument that says the war metaphor has to be the only one. So I just raise that to, to kind of get our minds, it's a lot to think about on the Sunday morning. You didn't, you didn't plan to wake up this morning and think about metaphor. Um, right? But you're good in this class, so we can, we can do this. So what I want to do is just take a, just, and I don't have all this figured out. Um, but I've been trying to think about what, what does the, the metaphor, the family of God, how, how might is it, what does it offer that's a little bit different than the, the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ? Now, again, I'm not trying to get rid 
of the image of the body of Christ. It's, it's really, really important. But I think there are some things that the family of God image can really help us with. And not surprisingly, the family of God metaphor is just assumed in, in Scripture, primarily because it was just everywhere. It's, it's got its roots. Um, Jesus hardly talks about it. It doesn't explain it because it was, just, it was so Jewish. This notion of Israel as the family of God goes back to the earliest notions of their identity, right? The house of Israel, right? Um, there's all kinds of places in the Old Testament where, where Yahweh calls Israel Yahweh's son, Yahweh's child, right? There's these intimate, uh, the prophets talk about uh, God as a father and Israel as a child. And this, this notion that somehow their relationship with Yahweh, with Israel's God, is familial, right? It's like a family. Um, and that's so interwoven into the Old Testament that we hardly even see it. But Jesus sort of assumed that. Because, um, of course, Jesus is Jewish. His, his audience is Jewish. Um, so there's this deep roots in the Old Testament. And then, of course, there's all this language in the New Testament that assumes this, too. That somehow our relationship is as a family. The most common word, the most common name for Christians in the New Testament is brothers and sisters. That's how they're most often identified, way more than any other way. We take that for granted. Um, people don't generally talk that way, right? Um, we talk about, we, we care a lot about our kind of biological uh, associations and that Jesus, we've talked about this before, Jesus says some pretty rough things. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, you know, there's this scene where, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, he's teaching, and uh, there's a knock on the door, and uh, someone says, hey, Jesus, your, your mother's out here. She wants to talk to you. I don't think you have to be a Jewish mother to think, he better be on his way out. <laughs> right? I, I, I've summoned him, and he better get his tail out here. But Jesus says something outrageous. Right? Jesus looks around and says, who, who, who is my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Uh, th those who do the will of God are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. Don't, don't try that on your mother. <laughs> right? Like, who is my mother? It's like, I'll tell you who your mother is. <laughs> If you're, if you're not clear about that, we'll get that real clear right now, right? I was just playing that, I was just kind of playing that scene over my head this morning, thinking just how outrageous that is, right? Um, but Jesus is reorienting that somehow there's, there's this deep connection, this deep family connection between those who are part of the, the children of God. Right. So I just want us to 
just think maybe, I don't know, three or four ways in which the image of family of God might helpfully complement and maybe in some cases even correct certain ways in which we've appropriated the body of Christ in ways that might not be entirely healthy. So, just, so today's largely a thought experiment. So I hope that's okay. I don't have this sort of all figured out, but you sort of know that. I don't have much figured out. Um, I don't get paid to figure things out. Um, I mainly get paid to let other people know they don't have things figured out either. <laughs> right? That we're all in this together. Right? So that's okay. That's okay. So the first thing I thought we might talk about is it seems like the way a body is one and many is slightly different, if not really different, than the way in which a family is one and many. Both of them are one and many in important ways, but they're different. So when we talk about the body of Christ, one of the, the things that we talk about is to emphasize the sort of unique character of each part of the body. Uh, so it's one body, but there are many members, Paul says, and they're different. Um, and some of, the, and each body part in some ways is unique. A finger is different than an eye, is different than a kneecap, is different than an ear. They're all important, Paul says, right, to have a functioning body. So there's this emphasis on the kind of unique contribution that each body part makes. And that's, that's critical. That's important. Um, so that, that's a really important part of understanding the community of faith. In a family, I think it might be the case that while there's a place, again, for uniqueness, um, what really holds a family together is what you have in common, right? Not your uniqueness. Um, it's not your unique gift, but what we have in common. Uh, we're all children. Right? In a family, like all my kids are, I mean, they're all children of the same parents. Um, and they're different, they're unique, but in the family what's most important is what we have, what holds us together is what we have in common, not our uniqueness. Now it's not surprising to me that in America that prizes our uniqueness that we'd love the body of Christ image. Um, and it gets used in all kinds of peculiar ways. Um, because you can focus on, it, it, the kind of emphasis on uniqueness is also, in some ways, when we talk about the gifts of the spirit and the gifts, uh, people's giftedness, um, you can take that to a, a, an unhelpful direction. Um, people will say, well, that's just not my gift, right? Um, well, in a family, sometimes it doesn't really matter what your gift is, right? I don't care if you've got a gift to take the garbage out or not. <laughs> it just got to be taken out. And you're here. And you're part of the family. So take it out. Right? Or people say, you know, I don't really have the gift of hospitality. 
of welcoming strangers. Well, you know what? There's a stranger sitting next to you, so welcome them. I don't care if it's your gift. Right? I mean, there might be some people who do it better than you. But sometimes things just have to be done. That's the way a family is. Right? There are things that have to be done. And if you're part of the family, you do it. And you don't sit around going, well, is that my special place in the family? <laughs> no, you don't do that. You just, people, like we always say, people pitch in and do it. Right? That's what families do. And I think there's something helpful about that, that, you know, as much as I might like to fixate on all the things that make me special in the body of Christ, maybe what's most important is I'm a child of God just like you, and that's enough for my identity. That's enough. That I'm a child of God, that you're a child of God, that we're in this family together, that's enough for most days, okay? I don't have to sit around and quibble over what my gifts are, right? There's a place for that. But that, can be, that, that card can be overplayed. And I worry in a culture like ours that maybe we've overplayed it just a touch. And maybe pulling back from that and being reminded that what we have in common as children of God um, is, is really enough for our identity. And if we focused on that, I don't know where, I, I don't really know where all that would go. Um, but some part of me thinks that would be healthy in this moment in time. That uh, to kind of recover our common sense of being children of God. So that, that's the first thing. Second thing is kind of related. In, in a body, the different body parts are sort of uh, divided by, by function. Like what do they do? Like a hand does certain things that an eye doesn't do. Fair enough. Um, but in, in the family of God, the differences between members is not so much function as it often is maturity. Okay, it's often maturity. Um, and I find that really interesting, particularly talking to a mature Sunday school class. What a young child does in a family is learn and imitate from older siblings and parents how to do things. I mean, most of the time, what most people are doing is very, very similar. Right? I mean, my role as a father in a family is not to do something that my children will never do. <laughs> It's to teach my children how to do what they'll be doing the rest of their lives. Right? And so, most of us will be doing similar kinds of things. And so, but you learn that from other people within the family. Not from just people with the same function. 
And that makes me, again, this is just thought experiments. Um, I didn't have much time to take a shower this morning. You could be thankful for that on, in some ways. Um, but I do, I, if that's true, right, if, if a lot of the learning that goes on in a family is kind of imitation, which it, we all know it is, to our pride and our embarrassment, right? There are times when you see your children doing something, you think, ah, they're doing that because they learned it from me, and that's a good thing. And other times you see your children, you're thinking, they're doing that because they learned it from me, and that's a very bad thing. <laughs> it goes both ways. But it's not just biological families where people learn things by imitation. That's just the way human beings learn. And it's also within the family of God. And here, here's one of my questions to myself. Um, is the church of today set up as well as it could be? And again, I don't have the answer for this. Are we set up as well as we should be for younger people in the faith to learn from you? There's a, lot, there's a lot of wisdom in this room. A lot of hard-won Christian wisdom about how to follow Jesus. Um, are, are we set up? Not just Muncie, but our congregations generally set up to make that possible. And what would it look like? Um, again, I don't have the answer to that. Um, but if we really are the family of God, then there, we have to make sure that that's possible. And I think it can look lots of different ways. And I think it is happening some. I just wonder if it's happening enough. Um, but you only kind of ask that question. Again, that question gets raised by thinking about this, this powerful metaphor of the family of God. If we really are a family and young people in the faith learn how to be a follower of Jesus by those who are more mature, then they have to be around those who are more mature. Well, yeah. I mean, when my children were four years old, I wouldn't just warehouse them for the next 12 years with other four-year-olds and just say, figure it out. You know, if you don't understand, ask a fellow four-year-old. That would be insane. We, we know we wouldn't do that. Right? And again, surely here we have... Sunday school teachers and all those kinds of things who are more mature, absolutely true. We have mentors, that's beautiful. But I still wonder, you know, are, are we making the most of the wisdom that we have in this family, right? Are we making the most of it? So the difference between sort of function and Maturity is a kind of interesting difference 
between the, the body metaphor and, um, yeah, and the family of God. See if we can get this other one started before the train arrives. <laughs> so a third, a third thing, um, again, not just slightly different, has to do with the, the body tends to focus on specific tasks. Hold that thought. How many of you have the joy of hearing the train from your house? Yeah. It's amazing how loud that is. I live a little over a mile, and it sounds like it's in my bedroom. Uh, it really does travel. So the body tends to focus on specific tasks that it needs to do. Um, a family, I mean, there's just a kind of day today existence. And this goes back to sort of the taking out the trash example. Um, part of what a body does is, is do certain things. Part of what a family does is, is creates the context for a kind of human community and interaction that all of us long for. Um, we've talked a number of times in here about how uh, God created us for community. God created us as social beings. We're, we're fundamentally social beings. Um, and I mean that fundamentally, right? Um, which doesn't sound like it's controversial, but it is controversial, right? In American culture, you are fundamentally an individual and you contract into relationships to the extent that you want to to the extent that you think they help you. That's the fundamental view of the human person in, in most Western societies, not just the United States. Scripture has a very different view of the human person. It says what it means to be a person is to be in relationship. That you can't be a person apart from relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with other people. So that's fundamentally who you are. It's not an add-on. We are made for community. And we aren't fully human apart from being in relationship. And family has been the primary way in which those relationships have been cultivated across human existence. And here, as you know, family much more expansively than what we tend to think of, right? There's, there's no notion in scripture of what we would call the nuclear family. That's a, that's a relatively recent notion, as you know. Um, so when scripture talks about a household, it, it, it means, you know, children, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, servants, right? They were considered part of the household, right? So it wasn't even just a biological unit, right? Um, it, was, it was all these people who lived and shared life together. And that's part of who they understood themselves to be. Is, and one of the dramatic changes, of course, is the kind of fragmentation of families to where and all of us feel this in this room. I feel it. Uh, and my children aren't yet scattered all over the country like some of you have. 
But we all know what that's like. And again, I'm not talking about the good old days and can we turn it back, but just saying that's a very different reality. And I, I, br I bring that up because when we talk about the family of God, what scripture is talking about has a slightly different, if not a radically different notion. Because, yeah, for us, we try to hold our families together. They're often fragmented, divided, spread out. We make the best of that in our world, and that's what we have to do. That's the world we live in. Um, but we do feel some loss, so there's still this sense of community. And for Jesus, as we just said, I mean, the church is this family of God, so we don't have to kind of just bemoan the fact that our, that our biological families are fragmented and scattered and not nearly as integral to daily life as they, they used to be. Um, but we, we have the opportunity to recover in a deeper way this notion that the church is the family of God. And Jesus thinks those relationships are not only as important, Jesus has the audacity to say that those relationships are actually deeper than your blood relationship. That's crazy. But that's, that's Jesus is saying something that radical. He's not minimizing, right? He's, he doesn't do that by minimizing the biological relationships. He just thinks these other relationships are even more important. That you can have something in common with someone who's a brother or sister in Christ that you may not even have in common with your blood relatives. And a lot of us in this room know that's true, right? Uh, some of you have siblings or parents or children who aren't members of the family of God, don't consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. And you, and you sense that something is missing there, right? Um, not that you don't love them, not that you don't have deep affection for them, not that there's this, of course there's this biological connection. But Jesus thinks there's something even deeper possible, which again sounds very contrary to the way we've been taught to think that nothing is deeper, stronger than sort of blood relationships. One of the things that's a challenge for our day, when we think about the church as the, as the family of God, is how to... Families, part of what made a family a family in the ancient days was that they actually did things together. I mean, they were, I mean, in sociological terms, they, they were a, a unit of production, right? I mean, literally, right? They, they made food, they did work together. The whole family was engaged in that. And, and that, those days are gone, okay? For good or ill, those days are gone. And now the family unit has become a unit of consumption, <laughs> okay? Uh, we don't make much together. And, and here I don't just mean like industrial make, although that used to be the case. I mean, we don't, even, we don't, we don't make music together. Right? I mean, music used to be something you, you did together. It wasn't something you just consumed. 
used to actually make it together. Um, that, that, just as an example. Um, but mainly we're a unit of production. And the reason I mention that is because that also has shifted the way we think about church. Um, because even as the family of God, it's easy to think of ourselves as sort of consumers, fellow consumers of religious goods and services. That's what holds us in common. We don't really do anything together. We just happen to show up and in the same space when we consume religious goods and services and experiences. And so my, my other half shower thought this morning um, was what would it what would it look like if we really are the family of God and part of what it means is these deep connections that come this this sense of community and relationship actually comes from doing something together, what would that look like? And again, I think we have opportunities to be involved in, in the wider community here in Jonathan City. I'm not saying none of that's happening, but I highlight it to, to help you see why it's important. Right? It's not just important for us to be involved in the community because good things need to be done in the community, although good things need to be done in the community. That's also part of our identity, right? It's part of our sense of who we are as a family. Um, I mean, I worry about my family if we don't ever, as a family, as a biological family, do anything other than, you know, sit around in the same space consuming different forms of entertainment that we each happen to like, right? Everybody on their own phone, on their own computer, on their own monitor, um, right? We've all seen this. This is where we're going, right? You see it in restaurants, right? I, I, was, at a, I was at a banquet, a student banquet that had about 60 students there, about eight tables of eight students each. And I got there the students were already seated, so I felt like I was in junior high again, seeing if I could find a table where I, someone would have me. Um, you know, that awkwardness. It's always hard on, particularly if you're an introvert like me, you know. Um, it's like, can I sit here? No, that's taken. Oh, sorry. I'll just go sit by, I'll just go sit by myself. <laughs> but what was interesting was, you know, at every table there were eight students all looking at their phones. Right? And it's not just students. I see, you know, adults. Right, whatever that is, uh, whoever that is, uh, doing it too, right? And again, we're not going to do without our phones. They're really helpful things. But um, how, how do we do something together? What does it mean to do something? I mean, families often try to do something. You think there's something important about doing something productive together, that somehow that deepens your relationship as a family. What would that mean for us as a congregation, right? to do things together. So maybe that's, you know, next time Mark Gooden tells us we all need to go to Northside on a Sunday morning, you think, why the heck do we need to do that? Well, maybe because that's what families do, right? Families go do things together. Um, because it changes things. You can't map it, you can't calculate it, you can't 
analyze, it just, it just makes a difference, right? Um, last thing, I'll, make, I'll be brief on this one. I've often, I've been thinking about if, if the difference between body of Christ and family of God has any implications for the way we think about growth. Um, now the problem here is that the metaphor that's dominating our imagination when it comes to think about growth is the corporate model, right? Where you, you count things, right? Like, you know, attendance, uh, money, uh, additions, uh, things like that. And then you decide whether, what the growth model is. And you can't ignore that completely because you gotta keep the lights on and you got to pay the staff, and so, sure. Um, but bodies, I mean, you think about how do bodies grow? Nothing personal here. <laughs> they grow in lots of different ways. <laughs> right? Uh, but bodies grow to a certain degree, and then they largely stop with some exceptions. <laughs> right? I love teaching wise adults. I don't have to say too much. <laughs> I don't have to spell this out. I have my kids like, I don't get that. So, what do you mean? Okay. Um, yeah, and so what's that mean for, for if you think of a congregation? Um, and what, yeah, it just seems, okay, it grows to a certain extent, but does it? And then, then what happens? Does it get fat if it continues to grow? I mean, just try to think about how that works. Um, and so it seems like that, that's kind of a dead end. Sometimes metaphors just come to a dead end. You think, that, that metaphor doesn't really help me think about that very much. And I think this is, but families actually, the family of God metaphor actually helps you think about growth in a much more helpful way, I think. Because uh, all of us experience, I mean, families grow by dividing, right? It's painful, and, and, oh, it, but it's, it's division with blessing, right? I'm not talking about families falling apart. I'm talking about your children grew up, they, a lot of them got married, left your household, started their own, and that was hard. They're still part of your family. You're still connected, but there's gonna be growth in their family. They're gonna have children. They're gonna have children. They're gonna have children, right? And that, the church at its best has grown that way. It's painful, but it has been by Growth with blessing, right? You send your children out with blessing. I mean, of course you're weeping afterwards, right? Um, but churches grow that way too, right? You get to a certain size and you think, you know, we need, we need to send 40 people out to start a new congregation. Not because we're trying to get rid of them. That's a different kind of division, right? But because, you know, we can only grow so much here, right? And this is a good thing for them to go out and 
Yeah, and so there's, it seems like the family metaphor has some interesting possibilities when it comes to how do you think about growth. The church has, more times than not, when it grew in healthy ways, grew that way. And th there's growing pains in that, just like for every parent who sends, you know, launches their children out into the world, all the pain that that brings and the, the you know, a little bit of heartache. There's something that you miss. Just like if, you, if we were to send 50 people from Muncie out to start a new church in some corner of Washington County, who knows, um, then that would, uh, that would be hard. We would miss those people. Right? It would be hard. But that would be some, there might be something healthy about that. So, so today we're just trying to think about, we're, it's Mother's Day, we're thinking about the family of God. And if nothing else, I want you to be a little more mindful of uh, what, what are the metaphors and the images that have captured your imagination and mind. Often we don't even know that we're thinking through the metaphors, that we're using them to, to see the world and to understand the world and ourselves and the church and everything. And sometimes it helps just to kind of slow down and say, what are the images that really have captivated the way I think about things? And what are the strengths of that? Uh, what are the weaknesses of that? What are other complementary images and metaphors? Um, particularly important for Christians where most of what we know, most of what God has given us are, are not definitions, uh, but images that are really quite fruitful, uh, quite uh, generative. Uh, they, they help us think through things, imagine things. and. Um, so I hope today that maybe you'll have just a little bit uh, more appreciation for this uh, family of God uh, image and how it might strengthen the way we think about what it means to be the church uh, in our day. Let's pray. Gracious God, we... We are humbled that you have invited us to call you Father and that you have called us your beloved children. We confess that we have often been wayward children and yet you have always welcomed us back into your home, into your family. You've drawn us into your very life. We pray that we might have a renewed appreciation and love for the way that you've made us family. May we see each other as our brothers and sisters. May their joys be our joys, their sorrows our sorrows. Enliven and enlarge, and enlarge our imaginations as we seek to be your people in this place. We pray this through Jesus, our brother, through whom you have made us your children.
absolutely incredible, as you always do. Linda, I'm going to let you sing um, sometime coming up, so go ahead and prepare you a song. I didn't mean to cut you short on that. <laughs> you sing lovely. All right. Refreshments to 